Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Reed Goosens. He is a real estate investor, entrepreneur, author, uh, podcaster. Uh, his book is called Investing in the U.S., The Ultimate Guide to U.S. Real Estate, and his podcast is also called Investing in the U.S. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Reed. Thank you, Jordan, for having me on the show. Let's just, you have an interesting story. You didn't start in the U.S. Just kind of briefly tell the story of where you came from and how you got established in uh, U.S. real estate. Yeah, so as you can probably hear from my uh, deep southern accent, I'm not originally from America. I'm, I'm from down under, and uh, I moved to the United States about seven years ago for, for two reasons. Uh, one was for love, um, and the other one was for Korea. Uh, my, my, my wife is American, and I moved here at the time. She was my girlfriend, and I moved here, quit my job in Australia, and uh, quickly got a job in as a, as a structural engineer because that was my former former career, and uh, I made made the leap, and, and within a very short space of time, I had you know acquired my first uh, first bit of real estate because the, the barriers to entry here in the United States are just so much lower compared to where I come from in Australia. So there are many different uh, kinds of strategies in real estate. Uh, have you, do you do many of them, or do you specialize in a particular strategy in real estate? Yeah, look, really good question. I started out with, um, you know, buy and hold and cash flowing. I, I've tried a bit of uh, uh, flipping. I've done some ground-up construction in my former career. Uh, but now I focus purely, focus purely on real estate syndication. Um, and for those listeners who may not know what that is, it's where we pool investors' money together. Uh, I'm the managing member, and we go out and buy larger uh, assets, maybe that we couldn't afford as individuals, but as the, the power of the group as a whole, we can go out and buy these, these bigger and uh, more safe investments um, so everyone can cash flow and, and hopefully get a good return on their money. So what is the advantage of doing syndications as opposed to, say, individual single-family home fix-and-flips kind of thing? Yeah, good question. So, look, in, in the general scheme of things, what we focus on when we try to attract the investor is a person who's the, the busy individual who may not necessarily have the time or the energy to go out and find really awesome real estate deals. Um, you know, don't get me wrong, you can get, make a lot of money in single-family houses, you know, buying and flipping and, and, and selling them. But if, you, if you've got to own them for a long period of time, we have found that commercial real estate has been uh, is a lot safer uh, and when I say mean safer, it means that you know if you have a duplex or a triplex, and say one or two of your tenants move out, then you're over fifty percent vacant. Um, the likelihood of that happening on say a hundred unit apartment building is a lot a lot lower. So we can get more attractive financing. Um, obviously, to buy a hundred unit par- apartment versus a say a triplex or a single family is a, is a big delta between the two. But that's where we bring the power of the, of the group and the crowd together. Uh, in order to pull our money together and go and buy this 100-unit asset. we I manage it with my business partner, and everyone gets the benefit. It's a win-win situation for everyone. So is that the minimum size that you do is 100 units? Typically, yes. When we first started out, it was a lot smaller, um, 30 to 50 units. Uh, but now, you know, the amount of work that we have to do as the managers, uh, you know, it, it just makes more sense. There's more scale if we can go get something over 100 units, uh, pulling together a syndication uh, obviously, as you could imagine, requires a lot of work. Um, and and whether we, if we do a 30 unit, uh, we're doing just as much work as if we're doing a 100 units. So we, we typically, you know, aim to, and there's more, there's more pie to go around, right, if there's 100 units compared to just 30 units. 
So we typically try and stick over 100 units. Uh, institutional quality assets, so built in the 1980s or 1990s or early 2000s. And we look to add value to these assets by doing a number of things through you know, renovating the apartments and increasing the rent, adding better amenities to the property, um, maybe being more efficient with um, the, the consumption of utilities on site. There's a whole laundry list of things we come and do to, to increase value and essentially increase the net operating income of these assets because that is what the, the, these commercial assets are valued on. They're, they're, they're valued on their NOI, net operating income. So, yeah. So let's talk about the investor side a little bit. So for people investing with you as part of the syndication, what is the minimum investment and do they need to be accredited? What, what does an investor need to bring to the party? Sure. Yeah, so typically our minimum invest- investments are about $50,000 each. Um, so we keep it relatively low so investors can diversify uh, across a number of our deals. Now, every deal that we pull together, it's we raise the money for that specific deal. We're not raising a, a blind pool and just saying, oh, we're going to go buy you know, X amount of properties. It's we, we've identified the property, we've put it on the contract, and then we go and raise our money uh, from, our, from our investors, from our investor database. And you know, so investors can put $50,000 in, say, property A, they can put $50,000 in property B, and that might be in a completely different market. And so they can be more uh, diversified across a number of assets rather than being in a pool where you may not necessarily know where the money is going to. So we've already identified the assets um, and uh, and help investors you know diversify across a number of assets when they come and invest in our company. Do they need to be accredited to invest or not? Yeah, so we are still doing um, yes, all accredited investors. We do have a small handful of non-accredited investors. So we do five or six B for Bravo, um, and those non-accredited investors are typically our friends and family, um, and all the and all the accredited. But we only have maybe five to ten investors in any one deal that would be non-accredited. The rest would be accredited investors. And for those people uh, out there who don't know what accredited means, just you know, earns two hundred thousand dollars a year or more as an individual or is worth $1 million, excluding the value of their personal primary residence. And what kind of returns are they earning uh, on the uh, properties you're syndicating these days? Yeah, so um, the way in which we set it up is we set it up a structure where investors who bring uh, essentially the down payment and, and, and typically the capital expenditure uh, and maybe a little bit of operating account, so let's call it, say, 35% of the overall purchase and we get you know the bank loan for the rest of it um investors will get a preferred return of about six to eight percent depending on where the deal is and the type of deal and that's every year we 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 will in a preferred return you can't have a guarantee anything in real estate but it's the next best thing so it's the first x percent of cash flow from the property will go straight to the investors and then anything over that x percent whether say it's called it's called seven percent anything over seven percent cash flow will be split 70 30 70 to the investors and 30 percent to us or myself and my partner, which are we're the general partners, and we are the G, it's called the GP, and we own thirty percent of the deal. So investors own seventy percent, and we own thirty percent. And what is the length of holding period that people should expect uh, in a building like that? Typically five to seven years. Um, we are looking to try and um, one point eight times to two times investors' money in that period of time. It just depends on obviously where the market is, the, the value add strategy. Um, but we are definitely looking as we're coming into a tighter market um, to, to hold the assets for a little bit longer. Uh, before, maybe a couple of years ago, we were maybe projecting five-year exits. Um, now we're sort of projecting seven to eight-year exits. And so people have to understand that it is a, li- 
e-liquid uh, investment, but it, it suits a lot of people. We have, a, we have a lot of people interested, you know, with the self-directed IRAs. Um, a lot of people just want to place their capital and just keep, keep it compounding uh, over a period of time, um, and then they don't really have to worry about it. So um, overall, we're looking for a 13 to 15% IRR, um, 1.8 to 2x uh, investment um, equity over a lifespan of six to seven years. Typically. But you do you do plan to sell the buildings in five to seven years eventually. You, they will get their that principal back. That is correct. Yeah. Yep. So if you're in an IRA and you have money in there and you're getting monthly cash flow, how can you reinvest that? Uh, you can reinvest it in uh, if it's if it's significant enough. You can reinvest it in our in our in, a, in another deal we may have on offer. Um, uh, but, but right now we just pay the dividends back and you know, however that just keeps accruing over time and if it accrues over a period of say three years and they build up a nice little nest egg and they want to reinvest another $50,000 into deal number two they can do so uh, as they wish I see um, so the advantage of this is diversification um, and professional management and it's kind of a passive income for the people who are investing is that right? exactly that's exactly right. Yeah, everyone's all that all our, you know, our LPs, limited partners, but also AKA investors. Uh, they are passive. They don't they don't lift a finger. They don't they have no debt risk. They don't have to go to um, you know the bank and ask for, for bank loans. We, as the, the general partners, my business partner and I, we go and do all that. Uh, so we we put our next on the line in terms of we bring the, the, the deal to the table. We bring um, equity in terms of we co-invest with our investors, and we also bring. The, uh, the bank debt to the table. So we're bringing a lot to the table and investors then get to benefit from us because of our expertise. Um, but we get to benefit from them because, as again, we're syndicating, we're using everyone's money to, to pull it together to go and buy these large assets. Okay. So if people wanted to find out more, is there a website they can go to or where would they go to find out more about your syndications? Yeah, they can head out to readgoosens.com. They can drop me a line, um, and we can you know, chat from there. There's uh, my, my actual uh, the, the business part behind it is called wildhorncapital.com. Uh, but but if you you know from a marketing point of view, you can just head over to readgoosens.com and, and drop me a line just there. So lately, interest rates have been rising, and that's been hurting real estate sales to some extent. How does that affect apartment buildings differently than single-family homes? Yeah, very good. Very good uh, question. Look, the way in which we look at it is that apartment buildings, uh, as interest rates, particularly the Treasury rises, uh, we are expecting to see cap rates, uh, capitalization rates, soften. Um, they have typically been in the five to five and a half percent on a Class B asset, which is sort of built in the 90s, in secondary markets across the country, like your Dallas's, San Antonio's, Charlotte's, those type of um, sub markets. But as the, the Treasury it goes up. We are expecting that uh, cap rates will expand again. Um, typically, hopefully, not hopefully, but back into the six to seven percent. Uh, but there's typically a lag, so we haven't seen. There's not an immediate like turning on a light, like in, the, the treasury rises and all of a sudden cap rates rise. There's still a lot of sentiment sentiment in the market, particularly the sellers, that they can get the biggest bang for their buck. Um, but I reckon in Q1 or Q2 next year we will see that that softening in the cap rates and in AKA sales prices of these assets, um, you know, as we, as we're coming into maybe a higher interest rate time, um, as we've typically been in very, very low interest rate, historically low interest rates for the last seven to 10 years. So that means that the returns will be lower if the cap rates go up, correct? Well, uh, not necessarily. 
depends on how you analyse the deal. So if you are buying a deal uh, at a five and a half cap right now, um, the way in which we look at it, it has to be true value add. So there has to be, you know, things in there that you've got to go and you can bring it up to mar- bring the rent up to market by doing renovations, putting new flooring, putting new cabinets, those sort of things. And you want to be able to get a rent bump for that. And if you can do that across, call it 200 units, then you should be able to increase the net operating income. Now, obviously, you've purchased a building at a, at a going in cap rate. Uh, if you assume a, a cap rate expansion, so you're assuming the market's going to get worse in, in say, call it five years' time, uh, and you exit, you, you use that year five NOI and you divide it by an exit cap rate, which is obviously an assumption. Um, I typically underwrite, as should everyone, particularly in these uncertain times, that there should be a cap rate expansion. So if I'm picking it up at 5.5% today, I will expect probably a 10 basis point expansion over the next five years. So I'd be looking to sell it at a 6% cap rate market. Now, there's a whole, it's very academic, we could talk about it for hours on how that is, whether that's conservative enough, not conservative, whatever it might be, it really will dictate or depend on the market in which you're investing in about how much that cap rate expansion will affect your sales price. But again, going back to the, the value-add strategy, if you can come and add, increase the NOI and you can still do an expansion on exit uh, of the cap rate uh, and you still get um, a solid return for investors and those sort of conservative assumptions still work, then yes, investors will still be able to make money in the future because I've already modelled it out, assuming that we're going to sell in a worse market than we're currently picking it up at, if that makes sense. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Reed Goosens. He is an expert on investing in real estate in the U.S. He originally came from Australia. Uh, his book is called Investing in the U.S., The Ultimate Guide to Real Estate. He also has a podcast called Investing in the U.S. We'll be back after this. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. We've all been there. Struggling to keep up with credit card payments? Searching for a simpler, safer way out of debt? Well, here it is. Cambridge Credit Counseling is a nonprofit service that has been helping people reduce or eliminate their credit card debt for over 20 years. Most of us have made late payments and even gone over our credit limits. Before we know it, our balances are out of control and we can barely afford to make the minimum payments. If this sounds familiar and you're ready to take control of your debts, call Cambridge right away at 1-800-897-2200 for a debt-free analysis. Cambridge will work with your creditors and may be able to reduce your interest rates and get you out of debt fast. In fact, Cambridge's typical debt management clients save almost $150 every month on their credit card payments, and they're debt-free in just 50 months. So there is a simpler, safer way out of debt, and it all starts with Cambridge Credit Counseling. Call 1-800-897-2200 for your free debt analysis. Cambridge Credit Counseling is a Massachusetts-based nonprofit agency providing services nationwide. For complete licensing information, visit them online at cambridge-credit.org. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. 
Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Reed Goosens. He is a real estate investor, originally was in Australia. He's now been in the U.S. for a while, a successful real estate investor. His podcast is called Investing in the U.S., and he's also got a book called Investing in the U.S., The Ultimate Guide to U.S. Real Estate. Welcome back to the show, Reed. Thank you very much for having me. Tell just people a little bit of what they can find at your website, reedgoosens.com. There's a whole bunch of free uh, informational stuff there for investors um, related to investing in U.S. real estate. There's a free, another free ebook about how to start raising money successfully as a syndicator. Obviously, my podcast is there, a number of blog articles about underwriting, um, how to analyze deals, how to build your team. So there's a whole bunch of stuff there that, that are just I put it out there for, for people to learn um, because we are in a sharing economy. So uh, we've got to put it out there and people can uh, learn more at readbusiness.com. Very good. So sometimes you're going to do construction, uh, either renovation or possibly new construction. What do you do to kind of limit the cost of construction and mitigate the impact so that it stays under control when you're doing some construction on a real estate deal? Yeah, good question. So there's a handful of ways you can control that. Um, the, the number one way is in which you enforce a contract with a general contractor. And it might, uh, there's different contracts you can do. You can do a cost plus, uh, which I highly you know, disregard, do not do that. Um, the, the, name, the number one contract that I will go and implement with my general contractors is a, what's called a guaranteed maximum price. So we will sit down with the GC and I will say to them, okay, this is a scope of work. I need you to bid it out. I need you to, I need, I need you to give me a price on it and I'll go to maybe two or three GCs and I will say this is a guaranteed maximum price. So what that means is that they will say, okay, I can deliver this project to you um, and anything, you know, if, if I open up a wall or if I, you know, find some existing conditions that um, I did not foresee, uh, it's sort of on them to make sure that they do their due diligence on the property in order to make sure they mitigate their risk and, and exposure to future costs because it's going to be on their dime that they have to pay those future costs. And obviously there's certain things that, um, you know, may, they may exclude from the contract, stuff like existing ground conditions, um, environmental conditions and stuff like that. But in general, we, I want to back my, my, my GC into a corner to make sure that he is you know, really understanding the scope of work um, and he's giving me the best price uh, in order to go off and, and execute in, in, in a manner that is um, in, a, in a timely manner because I also have in the contract um, liquidated damages. And liquidated damages means that it's really a rattlestick that says, okay, if you haven't finished the project within X amount of months, uh, I'm going to start charging you per day. 
for the first 30 days and then it will increase thereafter um, as, as time goes on and you've been delayed. So it's really making sure that the, the GC's put on notice in terms of his costs. It's a fixed cost for, for, for me. I'm not, he's not going to come back to me and have a second bite of the apple and say, hey, Reid, I've got all these change orders I need you to sign. I'm like, well, hang on, you should have understood the, the drawing from day one. Um, so their change order is really on you. Uh, it's not my exposure, it's your exposure. And the second thing is obviously liquidated damages um, that we can have at the end of the, you know, the, the period of construction. And if he misses that or misses the date, then we can, uh, I can implement these uh, LDs, as they're called in the industry, and he would then essentially owe me money uh, for being delayed, if that makes sense. Uh-huh, very good. So uh, if, if other people want to get into syndicating, how do you build a brand culture and mission statement to allow uh, attract investors to want to invest with you? Yeah, very, very good question. So uh, there's a lot. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of people uh, looking to get into syndications, and there's you know, the, the biggest thing that I found when I first moved to the United States is you have to have a story. People are attracted to your story. So my story is that I've moved halfway across the world, and you know, to, to, to follow my my girlfriend, who's now my wife. Um, but also, I was, you know, quickly realised how the benefits of investing in US real estate compared to my home country. Um, so there's a story there, and people resonate to stories. So if you're sitting out there listening to this show and thinking, "Well, I'd love to be syndicated one day," you've got to think about what value can you bring to others. Um, and when I first started my brand, uh, investing in the US, it was really because there was no one talking to international investors about the benefits of investing here in the United States. There was no one talking about what's an LLC. There's no one talking about what, what tax implications. I didn't even know what a credit score was when I first moved here. So all those things, I said, well, hang on, I could, be, I could go and start a podcast about it and I could start a brand around it. And I can be the number one you know, in that space because I'm the only one in that space. Uh, and then over time, I've obviously you know, pivoted and I'm, I'm inclusive of everyone, but I had to really niche at the beginning uh, and drill down on what my, uh, my, my brand was. I'm Australian, I, I speak with a weird accent. And you know, how can that benefit me to attracting others into my sphere who want to learn from me, who want to invest with me, who, who maybe want to partner with me in the future? So all those things, uh, everyone has is standing on a mountain of value. You just got to untap what is your value in order to you know, give it out to the world and give it out with free education like a podcast or an ebook or a blog, uh, and, and build a digital digital assets around. Uh, the brand, so the digital asset like a podcast, the digital asset like an ebook, uh, blogs, as I said, um, interviews like this. All these things are evergreen um, information and content which people can learn from and they can pick it up in six or 12 months' time and still be relevant today. Uh, so really, I, my, my brand was focused around creating uh, you know, a good story, a good mission statement, a good culture, uh, and that there was, was the underlying theme of, of what I built my platform on. And then from there, I provided people with really good information where I you know, interview, obviously, really great entrepreneurs so they can learn about the benefits of investing here in the United States. And then that's, in a nutshell, you know, branding 101. <laughs> okay, very good. Uh, you also talk about creating business ecosystems to create true long-term wealth. What do you mean by that? Yeah, good question. So think of, I, I personally think of, my investing platform like a table, right? And, and it, every table has four legs or has a number of legs. Um, one of those legs is buying real estate. You know, I can buy real estate and I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to own part of the deal. I'm going to get cash flow and maybe get some fees because I'm the manager. But you have to develop other legs of the table. Otherwise, the platform isn't stable. So developing 
developing other platforms like um, maybe property management. You can bring property management in-house when you get to a certain size and scale. Uh, maybe uh, we, we, what we're doing right now is we, we're direct sourcing product from China. Because we have over a 1,000 units in our portfolio, um, I can start ordering directly from China and I can make a bit of a profit on that. And there are ways in which you can create ecosystems. There's sort of other small businesses feeding off the, 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 the core, which was essentially acquiring commercial assets. And from that, I can make my table more stable. And that is better for my investors uh, because, you know, we may not want to be buying real estate, you know, in a down market or, or where, where lending is tight. So we have to have other ways of, of, of income coming in, obviously through cash flow, is a predominant one, but you have to have multiple different streams of income, and that could be to property management, like sourcing, uh, maybe construction management, and 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 and, and the like. Um, and that's how I develop, you know, true wealth and stability for my investors and stability for the deals, because I can control many aspects of of the um, the process uh, in, in order to execute these deals successfully. So what are some of the advantages of buying real estate in the U.S. that do not exist in other countries? Since you saw Australia, how is the U.S. a better market to invest in? Yeah, this is a, this is a great question. I love getting into this question. So we, you have to realize Australia, um, so if we're just looking on a macro level, we have in the United States, I think you've got like 350 million people. You can inhabit from east to west coast, from north to south, from the Canadian border to the Mexican border. You, Americans, you can have it the entire country. In Australia, we only have 24 million people, and we can only inhabit about 18% of our land. So everything's really much landlocked around major cities. And the reason is because it's an arid country. So you, in the middle of Australia, there's literally nothing. Um, now, Australia is the same size land-wise, excluding Alaska, as mainland America. So think of you guys have 350 million people. Um, you have... You know, you, you, you had all these different cities. Uh, you have New York, San Francisco, L.A. on one end. You have then Detroit um, uh, on the other. And you have 200 million people you need to, to house in between. That spurs secondary markets like Charlotte, like Dallas, um, uh, you know, like, like San Antonio, different markets where there's moderate cap rates. Uh, moderate cap rates meaning, you know, say New York and L.A., there might be cap rates of uh, 2 to 3%. In Dallas and, and, and the like, there may be cap rates between 4 to 6%. Uh, in Australia, we have cap rates as low as 1.5% to 2%. Um, so even in those really nice you know, tier 1 markets like LA and New York, it's still very attractive because the cap rates are still higher than what they are in Australia. Uh, combine that with the fact that Australia only has a very small handful of lending institutions. So... Multifamily does not exist in, in Australia because uh, the government uh, gets money from condo sales. So they call it strata title in Australia. And every time someone sells uh, a condo, uh, they, they, there's strata. And the sum of the parts uh, is greater than, than, than you know, getting taxes on, on an entire building. So, for example, if I was going to go build a 100-unit you know, apartment building called multifamily, I would have to pre-sell... X amount of units before the construction loan would get involved in into the deal. So um, that means I, I, I've got to go down the condo route. I can't. The, the bank isn't lending on this future hundred unit port, uh, hundred unit um, multifamily deal where the net operating income is X, and they can then value value it based on the market cap rate. So the, the lending environment in Australia is very limited. Compared to America, here 
where you have agency debt, you have non-recourse, you have you know, interest rates that are fixed for, for 12, 15 years, that is unheard yeah. of in Australia. And, and the fact that you have non-recourse debt here in, in the United States is, is also adds to the why it's such an incredible city, um, country to invest in. Okay, we're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Reed Goosens. He is a real estate investor expert. His book is called Investing in the U.S., The Ultimate Guide to Real Estate, to U.S. Real Estate. Also, the name of his podcast is Investing in the U.S. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. If you're like me, the list of books you want to read is never-ending. You simply don't have time to read them all. Blinkist has solved this problem. Blinkist is the only app that takes thousands of the best-selling nonfiction books and distills them so you can read or listen to them in under 15 minutes all on your phone. I like to listen to Blinkist while I commute to my office. The Blinkist library is massive, from timeless classics like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, to current bestsellers like Fire and Fury inside the Trump White House. My personal recommendation is to check out the four-hour work week. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash Money Answers to start your free seven-day trial. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash Money Answers to start your free seven-day trial. You can cancel anytime. Blinkist.com slash Money Answers. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Reed Goosens. He is an expert on investing in U.S. real estate. His uh, book is called Investing in the U.S., the Ultimate Guide to U.S. Real Estate, and his podcast is also called Investing in the U.S. Welcome back to the show, Reed. Thank you very much. So we were doing a little bit, but let's do a little bit more on the advantages of investing in real estate in the U.S. compared to other developed countries. Yes. So we spoke earlier about the, the, the lending benefits. Um, we spoke about the, the different uh, tiers of market because of just the sheer population that needs to be, ha- needs to be housed in this country. 
Um, we can also talk about the, the cost of living. So in the United States, comparatively, again, you have um, New York and San Francisco and you know LA are very, 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 very expensive. They would be the equivalent of, say, a London or where I'm from in Australia, Sydney and Brisbane, they're about on par. So the cost of living is quite high. The barriers to entry in terms of getting into your real estate market are quite high. Um, but then, you know, go back to your, these secondary markets where the cost of living is more moderate. Um, there's good jobs and people are, can afford a house. Um, the, you know, when I first came to the United States, I was gobsmacked at the fact that I could buy a property for $50,000. You could never buy a, a property in, in I want to say, at least in Australia, but in probably the Western world, uh, as low as that as you could here in America. And so, you know, again, it goes back to just the, the sheer advantages of just getting into the market. The barriers to entry are so low um, that it was just right for me to you know, get, give it a crack. Um, so low barriers to entry, good financing, um, good diversification in terms of jobs and where those jobs are located, strong GDP growth, um, and, and obviously the, um, the, the, the advantage of the non-recourse debt. Um, also, the other thing I want to talk a little bit about is the, um, the, the GDP in general. So, I'll just example, Texas, for, for your listeners out there, has a bigger GDP than Australia. Um, so, and California is even above that. So, just in terms of the sheer amount of money flowing, being generated in one state compared to one country, uh, is huge. Uh, so again, those are just the sheer volumes uh, that create those you know, really um, details of, of really incredible investing opportunities here in the United States, um, and, and a good good job job diversification and good tax incentives as well. Uh, obviously, the uh, most Western countries do do have tax codes that are written for real estate investors. Uh, America, Canada, Australia, England, stuff like that. They they are there. They've been written because. Those governments in the countries, in those countries, including including the United States, are not in the business of housing you know, citizens. So people who are investors do benefit from, you know, deferring taxes, um, writing off certain interest rate uh, payments, um, depreciating assets quicker. Uh, so there are different benefits like that. One of the, the big benefits for me that I first saw when I came here was 1031 exchanging. We do not have that, definitely, at least in Australia, as far as I'm concerned, as far as I know, I don't think there's any other country in the world has, has a 1031 exchange. And for those people who aren't knowledgeable about that, it's, it's really any um, uh, gross profit you make on the sale of a property, you can roll that profit over into a like-kind asset. So meaning if you bought, sell a single-family house and you buy another single-family house, you will not get taxed on the capital gains. In Australia, that does not happen at all. Anytime you sell a house, you have to you'll be hit with the tax then there, and then you will be left over with whatever you left over to go buy house number two. So again, from a scaling point of view, you can buy a ten-unit property here in America, sell it in three years' time, make profit, then buy a twenty-unit, then buy a forty-unit, then buy a hundred-unit, you know, and keep building uh, your portfolio over a period of time, which really, really does lend to long-term wealth creation. Uh, and again, yeah. you're just one of the many benefits here in the United States. So, there's so, as you say, it's a big market. So, how do you identify uh, the properties that you want to buy? Are you looking on multiple listing service? Are you are you going to properties that aren't on the market? How, how are you identifying the properties you want to be in, uh, investing in? Yeah, so another good question. 
given where we are in the market cycle right now, commercial assets are very, you know, it's, it's very hot. Like a lot of, lot, of, lot of real estate is in the United States at the moment. But there's different pockets. Um, so when I look, you know, when, when I hear someone say, oh, the U.S. housing crisis or the U.S. housing market, I sort of scoff a little bit because there's 400 metropolitan statistical areas in the United States. And within each MSA, there's a north, south, east and west. And within each of those suburbs, there's certain, you know, tra- uh, you know streets to keep away from. There's certain streets that are, you know, certain suburbs that are, are more affluent. And it's so much diversification within the United States and within each market that you can get creative in terms of how you're, you're finding deals. So yes, I do look for value-add deals, typically built in the 1980s or 1990s. I would like to buy direct from sellers, but in this you know, hot market, we're probably more going down, we are going down the brokerage route, so we're really spending a lot of time developing the relationships with brokers, and those brokers are bringing us off-market deals in order because they know we can execute. Um, so that's typically how we're, we're finding our deals these days through our broker relationship network. You're saying off-market deals, things that are not in the multiple listing. Is that what you're saying? That is correct. Yep. So we have an, we just put, we're just about to purchase a deal in Austin, Texas, which was um, fell out of contract. It was not marketed, and the the, the owners uh, we knew the owners, but the brokerage brokers came to us and said, "Oh, look, this is not. We're not going to market this deal. If you want to take it down, it's yours." Uh, you've got two weeks to decide, otherwise you're going to go start marketing it. So stuff like that, we're getting their pocket listings before they're hitting the market because of our relationships with the brokers, because we've proven that we're, we're closers, um, we, 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 are, we approached first before before the other people are approached, which, which gives us obviously a, a benefit. So what I don't understand is how you buy a property. You must have to put a lot of cash up. If you're then uh, syndicating it after you've purchased it, that's going to take a while to... Uh, raise the money. How do you finance it in the short term before you've syndicated a particular deal? No, good, 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 good question. So, um, so to, to put a to put a deal under contract is typically, you know, let's call it two hundred thousand dollars. That's that is my business partner and ours money. We go put it, put that down. We'll lock up the deal, and then we will negotiate probably a sixty to ninety day close. And in that sixty or ninety days, we will raise the entire equity in that portion before we close. So we do not do any post closing. Raising, uh, we we would have already raised all our capital um, within within sixty days uh, because we have a strong investor network. So who, who are really hungry for these deals, we can typically raise anywhere between five and ten million dollars worth of equity within thirty to sixty days. Um, I see. Just because I see. of the way we, 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 we've we've built our network, uh, we've built our investor database. So what are some cities, uh, kind of moderate uh, in the middle of the city, middle of the country cities? that you think have good potential for apartment buildings these days? Obviously, the Texas markets I spoke about, um, Dallas, just because I've, I've invested heavily in Texas, um, Houston, San Antonio, Austin, Dallas, they're obviously very good markets. I do like other markets like um, Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, I like the Tampa Bay area as well in Florida, um, up towards Orlando. Um, I'm definitely looking for corridors between major cities in like, um, for example, the Austin-San Antonio corridor, I, I truly believe that will be one major city in 10 to 15 years' time. Similarly with um, uh, Orlando and Tampa, again, that highway of growth, I'm looking for those types of connecting um, uh, connecting highways where there's, there's maybe some small um, MSAs now, but in you know, 10, 15 years' time, there's going to be all one metropolitan. Um, I'm looking for good job 
job stability. So I'm not looking for one particular major employer. I'm looking to have at least you know, five to ten major employers in the MSA. Uh, I'm looking for moderate uh, cost of living. And I'm looking for a growing population. I think that's the most important thing. When you're looking at any new market, make sure that over a period of time that the population is increasing. You do not want to be investing in a declining population uh, MSA. Yeah, okay. So you talk about putting together an A-team. What are some of the people you know? Because you're not uh, managing these properties yourself. You're having other people doing no, it. What, what do you need on your team to make the strategy work? So regardless if it's a syndication or if you're just investing in single-family housing, you need to develop an A-team. So what is it? who does that look like? So the number one or one of the top people on your team will be a broker. Um, having those relationships with brokers, particularly if you're investing out of state, uh, is really, really important. They will be able to bring you leads uh, so you can analyze them and hopefully go and close on them. But you know, you've got to develop relationships with brokers over a period of time. Um, the second person on your team is going to be a property manager. You know, boots on the ground, someone who's going to look, you know, look after the day-to-day management. We hire professional third-party property management teams um, in our different markets that we invest in, and they 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 oversee the day-to-day management. They oversee the leasing. They oversee you know addressing cha- um, work orders and stuff like that. Um, the third person is really critical in your team is going to be your uh, local attorney. Uh, who can ho- who can oversee any closing processes or any legal issues that you might have, um, and that they will be able to guide you through to the closing the closing period, uh, so the closing date. Uh, then also you're going to need a general contractor. Sometimes the GC is involved is in house with the property manager. I typically like to I'd like to see them separate, so I'll go out and find a third party GC general contractor in order to give me most credible uh, advice. Uh, and then the fifth person you obviously want to tax. Um, consultant who's someone who can look over your taxes and understand the different structuring because you have legal impl- implica- implications when you're investing, but you also have tax implications. So having two different um, you know, players on your team, one in the, in the legal end- realm and the other one in the taxation realm, um, will help you be you know, the, best, uh, the best investing possible, best investor possible, I should say. Do you always visit a property before you end up buying it? Hundred percent. I always, I will spend before I buy any property six to twelve months visiting a market. It's getting quicker and quicker as we close more and more deals. But we were we were looking in the Atlanta market recently, and my business partner and I probably did two or three separate trips, uh, not not together, but you know just to try and get out there, get in front of brokers, see deals, underwrite deals, give 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 feedback to brokers to try and build that credibility with these local brokers. Um, because I, I need to understand, you know, when I'm when I'm underwriting my deals, what are the assumptions? What are the rent growth assumptions I'm going to use? What are the expense growth assumptions am I going to use? Uh, can this market support, you know, a twelve hundred or thirteen hundred dollar uh, rent for two bedrooms, or maybe it's more of a market like an eight or nine hundred dollars for two bedrooms? So you've got to really understand, you know, where the path of progress is and get boots on the ground to touch and feel um, these buildings and, and really what's 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 going on, where where the growth pockets are happening. So that's what I like to do and, and, and be educated because um, I think one of the biggest mistakes people make is not getting out and, and, and seeing and touching and feeling the asset in which you're, you're buying. Yeah, very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Reed Goosens. He is the author of a book called Investing in the U.S., The Ultimate Guide to U.S. Real Estate. 
Uh, he also has a podcast called Investing in the U.S., and you can find out more at his website, reedgoosens.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Attention heroes, current and former firefighters, law enforcement, military, medical, or educational professionals. Heroes can receive rewards averaging over $2,500 when they buy, sell, or refinance a home. Heroes come first. Along with the Homes for Heroes is the nation's largest hero reward program. Their mission is to provide extraordinary savings to heroes who provide extraordinary services to our nation and its communities every day. Learn how you you can purchase a home for no down payment, no closing costs, and get money back at closing. Find out how you can own for less than you may pay for rent. Get your hero rewards at heroescomefirst.com. That's heroes, H-E-R-O-E-S, comefirst.com, 888-437-6114. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth in Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth in Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Reed Goosens, expert on investing in U.S. real estate, even though he started off in Australia. Welcome back to the show, Reed. Thank you very much for having me. So let's just talk a little bit about further the tax benefits that are uh, offered in the U.S. Uh, there's something called depreciation, uh, there's cost segregation. Just briefly go over the main tax benefits that people can take advantage of to increase the return on real estate. Yeah, so when you're comparing a hard asset versus, say, a paper asset, uh, your, your investment, the reason that you invest in hard assets like real estate is because the cash flow that, or the dividend, let's call it dividends, we're keeping it all the same lingo, the dividend received from that property um, can be offset by depreciation. Uh, unlike in, um, in, say, a paper asset, if you get a, say, let's call it 10% cash on cash return in year one, well, you're going to, that's going to be viewed as income and that's going to go and probably be taxed at 30%. So you're not really getting 10%, you're really getting 7%. Um, so in real estate, how do we do that? How do we go and, well, how, 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 how does 7% stay 7%? Well, the reason is because we can come in and the cost of the real estate can be depreciated over a period of years. 
Now, in residential, it's 27.5 years. And in commercial, I think it's 35 years. Don't quote me on that. Um, one of the benefits of investing in commercial real estate is because we can do what's called cost segregation, which means we can accelerate the depreciation of certain elements in the property quicker than 35 years. Uh, so what, what am I talking about? I'm talking about stuff like flooring. I'm talking about appliances and fans and blinds and you know, siding and roofs and all that sort of stuff. They can be depreciated a lot quicker than, than what the IRS dictates in, in the tax code um, over a period of um, tw- 27.5 years for residential and uh, 35 years for, for commercial. And so that means that when I get a return and then my depreciable uh, ownership of that ret- um, of that particular investment matches, so if I um, have $7,000 uh, income in year one because I've invested $100,000 into this deal, um, but yet my depreciable tax benefits are also seven grand, so I'm net equal, uh, so I don't have to then pay any taxes on that income. Um, now, again, consult your tax. tax so it's sheltered, sheltered um, by depreciation, you're saying, yes. Sheltered by depreciation, that's correct. And so that is then a benefit, unlike um, you know other uh, cost segregation you know, in Australia, we don't, definitely don't have that accelerated depreciation that we, you can capture here in the United States. Now, the, the reason, how would you go and do cost seg, uh, probably the question would be coming up to most listeners, would be that, Cost segregation makes sense when you're in larger assets because to go and do a cost segregation, the IRS requires that you have a qualified third-party person go and execute that, and that typically costs you in and around five to six, seven, maybe seven thousand dollars, depending on the size of the asset. So, in single family, it's not necess- maybe not necessarily makes sense to go and spend that much money to get someone to do a third-party audit because that may not be this. Your benefits may not be that great, but when you're dealing with a two, three hundred unit uh, uh, unit property, going and spending seven thousand dollars to realise, you know, um, you know, uh, call it a million dollars worth of depreciable value, that's a huge upside to all my investors. So they obviously we go and execute on that, and, and they're, they're just again some of the really awesome benefits of investing here in the United States. So, and when people are investing, you say they're investing fifty thousand, and they're getting a certain cash flow. Do you have like a a K one that says what the how much of the depreciation is sheltering the cash flow they've received. That is correct. Yep. So all all structures that we own these assets in are what's called flow through. So investors will buy shares into an LLC, uh, and that they will own a portion of the deal. So any you know their, their portion will also have the tax benefits. And on their K one, it states okay, this is your income, this is depreciable loss, and so this is your this is your sheltered income. Uh, as you, you mentioned earlier, and that's all, as you said, stated on a K-1. Again, something I didn't even know about when I first moved to the United States, but I had to educate myself on. Yeah. Okay, so there's a depreciation uh, with cost segregation. We talked about the 1031 exchange. What are some of the other major tax benefits people can benefit from uh, in investing in the kind of real estate you do? Yeah, so obviously we, we pay interest on the, the loan that we get. That is also a uh, taxable uh, event and we can we can ride that off against the um, uh, against our taxes and again because investors are part, part co-owners in our deal they can also do, um, benefit in those um, you know interest rate deferrals so reducing our taxable um, exposure by offsetting it with the interest rate payment uh, again something that is not done uh, I know in Australia they are thinking about taking that away from people 
uh, you know, offsetting your, your tax by with your interest payments. But again, here in the United States, it's very, very common to do that and another great benefit of investing in real estate. Yeah. So what role should real estate play in somebody's overall portfolio? I'm not saying people should put all their money in real estate. If they've got stocks and bonds and 401ks and gold, what what role should real estate play in their overall portfolio? Yeah, look, I think you have to sit down and ask yourself, what do you want to get out of? Why are you investing in real estate? Is it for a, you know, a retirement plan in, in 20 or 30 years' time? Um, I, I do think diversification is very healthy across all our, you know, what you just mentioned, stocks, bonds, gold, um, min- uh, minerals, uh, and real estate. I would personally would want to see someone's real estate portfolio be, uh, you know, between 40 and 50 percent of their diverse of, of their portfolio. Um, I think real estate does have the best uh, returns over a, a long period of time, and the fact that you can force appreciation rather than. Um, you have a lot more control in real estate compared to, say, the stock market. Um, so my personal opinion is, you know, between 40 to 50% of anyone's anyone's portfolio needs to be uh, tied up in real estate. Very good. So in kind of summarizing the whole situation, who should uh, be investing in real estate? And, you know, you're talking about syndication. Who should be an active investor in, in doing the kind of things you do in real estate? Yeah, so um, let's talk about, the first part of your question, which was who who should be involved in real estate. I think everyone should be involved in real estate. Uh, whether you're passive or active will depend on the personal situation. So, uh, you know, do you have time to go find deals uh, or are you just too busy with your day job, with your kids, with your life? Um, maybe uh, maybe that, that maybe that's an issue for you. So you have to really look at maybe being a passive investor, but you still want the benefits of investing in real estate, but you want to, may not necessarily want to go do the work. So syndication might be might be more that, that person's or that, that people's um, you know, choice. Uh, in terms of doing what I'm doing, yeah, look, if people strive to be a, a syndicator, an operator, um, then yeah, everyone can do it. Again, it goes back to building that brand, building that, um, you know, that credibility first and foremost to then go off and be able to raise capital because we mentioned earlier in the show that you know, raising capital is, is probably one of the hardest things to do. Um, so, you know, making sure that you have your you know, all, all the all the eggs, not, not having all the eggs in one basket, and, and making sure that you can raise that equity prior to closing on the asset is very, very important. So it goes back to personal brand. Um, the reason why I do, I'm the syndicator, is because I get to control um, the asset, and I get to use other people's money in order to grow my wealth, but I also get to grow their wealth. So it's a win-win for me. And I come from a world of of ground-up construction, and because I'm a former structural engineer, that I'm just, I, I'm, I'm that sort of engineer brain, the black and white brain, where I want to go and take things apart, put it back together and figure it out, and, and you know, really be in control of my life and, and not have to work a day job anymore because I work, you know, I work for myself and I work for my investors. Excellent. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Reed Goosens. Uh, his book is called Investing in the U.S., The Ultimate Guide to U.S. Real Estate. Uh, his, his podcast is also called Investing in the U.S., and you can find out more at his website, reedgoosens.com. Thanks so much for being a guest on The Money Answer Show, Reed. Thank you so much, Jordan. Thanks again. We'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.